Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Samuel chapter 10, the book of 1 Samuel chapter 10. We continue our study through the Old Testament. Now, we have to remember what's happening here. Remember, Israel has forsaken the Lord and they want a king. And it's the Lord that tells Samuel, Samuel the prophet, and the Lord says to Samuel, hey, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. But then the Lord says to give them the king that the people seek. But at the same time, he says, give them warning. Give them warning. And remember the people, they were like adamant. No, we want a king, Samuel. Now, don't forget to also listen to our study called The Marathon. Very important because it's going to help you understand certain things that are happening. And not just here in 1 Samuel, but even you know throughout the Bible, it's going to help you understand certain things. Very important. We're going to touch on those things too uh, in this study. And we'll probably touch on them in future studies as well. So let's begin our study here. And remember where we ended in chapter 9, Samuel and Saul, the prophet Samuel, and Saul, the soon-to-be king, they're together. And it's morning where we ended in chapter 9. It's morning, and Samuel, he anoints Saul. So let's begin our study, 1 Samuel chapter 10. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? Now, this is kind of a delayed response. Remember in chapter 9, where Samuel says to Saul in chapter 9, verse 20, uh, 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 Samuel uh, 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 says, to, the prophet Samuel says to the soon-to-be Saul, the king, uh, you know, and in verse 20, chapter 9, verse 20, and on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and all your father's house? That's what the prophet says to Saul. That's what Samuel says to Saul. And so Saul asks, he responds in verse 20. This is chapter 9. In verse 21, the, the, the Saul responds, why do you speak like this to me? And then the, the delayed answer, it comes here in chapter 10, verse 1. Because the Lord has anointed you commander over, over his inheritance. You know, and you know, for me, it's kind of painful. Actually, it's not kind of painful. It's 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 very painful what's happening here because from the perspective of the people in in, in in the days of Moses, remember old man Moses, how, you know, remember our study in Deuteronomy, you know, there's from the perspective of the people, there's been a focus on inheriting the promised land. And, you know, we get to Joshua and there is inheritance of the promised land. And then we see what happens in the book of Judges. But the inheritance of the promised land, that's not a bad thing at all. That's not a bad thing at all. It's very beautiful, very specific instructions, very specific blueprints and guidance for entry into the promised land. Remember our study in Torah? Remember the first generation? They all died. Even Moses wasn't permitted. You see, the first generation, but then the second generation, which remember the, our study in the book of Numbers, the second census with the inclusion of females in the, in, in, the, in, in the count of the fighters. Remember the second census, but then at the same time, we see the only two that were of the first generation that passed in the promised land were Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua, a type of Christ and a type of Holy Spirit as Old Testament example for you and me to understand our entry into the promised land. Second generation for you and me. First generation, you and me, born into Adam. We come out of our mother's womb, born into Adam. But then the second generation, born again, you see? And then our entry into the promised land. It's not without Jesus and not without the Holy Spirit. You see, very important to understand. 
And so, you know, for the Old Testament example, we see how there's very specific guidance for entry into the promised land. But then there's guidance, very specific blueprints for guidance for retaining the promised land. You see, in the Old Testament, I'm not talking about promised land as in paradise, you know, the book of Revelation paradise. Don't forget, in the book of Genesis and the book of Revelation, we see the tree of life. In the book of Genesis, there is, you know, there's, it prohibits the tree of life. But then in the book of Revelation, we see the tree of life again. Where in Genesis, don't eat from the tree of life, you see. But then in Revelation, eat from the tree of life, you see. What's the difference? Second generation. Caleb and Joshua, just like the, the, the Old Testament example of Caleb and Joshua, you and me, baptism of the Holy Spirit and with Jesus Christ our Lord. Very important to understand what the Bible teaches. You see, paradise lost in Genesis and paradise gained in Revelation. You see, very specific blueprints in every single jot and every single tittle in between. And so it's very beautiful to see these, these provisions of the Lord on Israel in the Old Testament. Very beautiful. And it's, it's true that we see moments, you know, along the way thus far, it's very true that we see moments of chastisement and even judgment and even wrath. And yes, when we see the judgment and wrath, those are very, very sobering moments, extremely sobering moments. But the Lord also shows us why he does those things. He shows us why. You see, and every single time there's judgment, every single time, there is always a period of mercy and grace. Always, 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 always. And verse 1 here in 1 Samuel chapter 10, it kills me. It breaks my heart because Israel has an inheritance. But you know what? So does the Lord. So does the Lord. And God's inheritance it's Israel. And this anointing that we see of Saul, it's devastating. It's painful. It hurts because what the people desire, they desire a king. But in their desire of a king, when, you know, the prophet Samuel was heard, and to have that intimacy where, where Samuel is so intimate with the Lord that he hurts. And the Lord says to Samuel, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And so when we see this anointing of Saul, what we're seeing is a shift away from the Lord. You see, because God's inheritance is the people. And this shift away from the Lord, because remember, Moses told the people, no, the Lord is our king. And the Lord is your king. You know, like, you know, I'm old man Moses. And, you know, in our study in Deuteronomy, remember, where Moses was like straight up, you know, I'm old man Moses. And remember how we, you know, like the people, they want like a pep talk. Like, you know, Moses, we're about to enter the promised land. Give us a, give, give us a pep talk so that, you know, we can feel good about ourselves when we go into the promised land. But then you read Deuteronomy, that's not a pep talk. That's not a pep talk at all. It's more warning. It's more admonition. You see? And old man Moses says, no, you don't. You're going to go into the promised land and you're going to have all these surrounding peoples, but do not be like them. Do not partake of their ways, their idols, their gods, because you are a consecrated people. You are a special people. You are a holy people. You are the Lord's people. You see? And he is our king and he is your king. And so 
what happens in the course of time. We see the book of Judges, how the Lord becomes forgotten, how idolatry spreads throughout the land. But then at the same time, it's like, wait a second, you see this anointing of Saul and Saul's about to be king when the Lord is their king? And it kills me. Because you see this shift away from the Lord and this shift is unto men. Israel having a king, it was God, and now it's man. You see, and this leadership of man in Israel, it's continued through the ages, and there was a, a, a break of national identity for a certain period of time. And then May 14th, 1948, Israel became a nation again. But it's still with the leadership of man. You see, and God, the Lord. He will be crowned king once again. And it happens when his only begotten son returns. Thus fulfilling what, what the prophet Zechariah said. Very important to understand. Now, in our Sunday studies, if you've been walking with us for a while, our studies through the book of Mark, in our Sunday studies, we already know how the religious establishment wants to destroy Jesus. The religious establishment. Remember our study in the book of Mark? If you're a new listener, welcome. But go and listen to our study in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 1 and then get yourself caught up to where we're at. And we see the religious establishment. They want to destroy Jesus. And when Pontius Pilate asked the people, or, or he, Pontius Pilate, uh, uh, the, the religious establishment, head of the religious establishment in that area, I mean, the head of the religious establishment is Caesar at that particular moment. But Pontius Pilate, he says, shall I crucify your king? He asked the people, shall I crucify your king? And you know what happens? It's the high priests. It's the high priests who shout back, we have no king but Caesar. You see, the high priests, the supposed shepherds of Israel. When old man Moses told them in, in Deuteronomy, old man Moses told them, listen, the king is the Lord. Our king is the Lord. And then you have these supposed high priests, the supposed Kohanim, the supposed Levitical priesthood. And they forgot the writings of Moses. You see? They're supposed to be the shepherds of Israel. But look at them. Look at them. Yeah, we got the Levites. Yeah, we got the Kohanim. But look at them. You see? They've become corrupt. They've corrupted themselves. And Moses says, hey, don't desire a king. Don't be like these peoples. Their ways, their customs, their idols, their gods, because you are a consecrated people. That's what old man Moses says. If you're listening for the first time or you haven't been walking with us for a while, go back and listen to our study through Deuteronomy. And you'll hear and you'll see old man Moses telling them exactly that. And it's so powerful because you see what happens in the course of time. And then, you know, when Pontius Pilate Shall I crucify your king? You know, cuides veritas. Cuides veritas. You know, and he's looking at Jesus right in the face. He's looking at truth right in the face. And then he looks at the people. Shall I crucify your king? And it's the high priest, the supposed shepherds. We have no king but Caesar. Whoa. 
They don't follow Moses. They claim to follow Moses. Oh, you know, we're hardcore. We follow Moses. You're not following Moses at all. You're going against the very things that Moses said because the Lord is the king. And it's the high priest who says we have no king but Caesar. It's the high priest that say that. You see? And for you and me, our Lord, our King, some of his final verbally spoken words to mankind, you know, Pilate asked him, are you King of the Jews? And in some of our Lord, our King, in some of his final, final spoken words, in his earthly ministry, Jesus responds, it is as you say. Pilate asks, are you King of the Jews? And he says, Jesus responds, it is as you say. You see? And then what happens? The soldiers mocking our king, mocking our Lord, our Savior, our everything. The soldiers, what do they do? They stick a crown of thorns in his head. They spit on our king. They hit our king with the stick. They bow down to him and mock him. And they say, hail, hail, king of the Jews. Hail, king of the Jews. And then they led our king to the cross. Hanging on the cross, they put a sign over our king, our Lord. They put a sign over his head as he was dying. And the sign says, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Turn really quick to Matthew 27. Really quick, Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Our Lord, our King, our everything. He's dying on the cross in Matthew 27. And then in Matthew 27, verse 39, look what happens here. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself, exclamation point. Save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Wow. They're blaspheming the Lord. In verse 41, Matthew 27, verse 41, life, likewise, the chief priests too, you figure, okay, those who are passing by, you think the, the, the chief priests, they're not done when they say we have no king but Caesar? No, they're not done. The chief priests also mocking with, with the scribes and the elders said he saved others himself. He cannot save if he is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. You see, they wanted signs and miracles. And, you know, in our study in the book of Mark, we see there's signs and miracles happening all over the place in our study in the book of Mark. Except remember Nazareth, there was no uh, 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 mighty works in Nazareth. Why? Because the covering of the religious leaders, wrong formula in them. And it, a heavy cost it was for Nazareth. You see. And so now the, the chief priests, the scribes and the elders, they say, yeah, we'll believe him if he comes down from the cross. You see? Listen, signs and miracles, you know, it's a wicked and perverse generation that seeks after a sign. And yet, as believers, we do see signs and miracles. So how is that reconciled? If a person says, listen, I'm not going to believe in Jesus unless I see a sign, that's not good. 
because it's a wicked and perverse generation that does such a thing. But once you and me were abiding in Christ, listen, signs, miracles, it happens. Abiding in Christ, you have effectuation. It's very important for us to understand what the text says. And so you see the chief priests, all the religious leaders, and those who pass by, everybody's mocking Jesus. In verse 40, you know, if you are the son of God, come down from the cross, save yourself. But then the religious establishment, he saved others. In verse 42, he saved others himself. He cannot save. If he is king of Israel, let him now, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. <clears throat> in verse 43, he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. You know, he trusted in God, God the Father. Let him, God the Father, deliver him, God the Son, Jesus. Let him deliver him now. If he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. That's the religious establishment. The religious establishment. The Romans. Those who pass by. Everybody is mocking Jesus. And he's dying on the cross. Look at what has happened. Look what's happened to the priesthood. The supposed shepherds of Israel. And then you have people today say, well, you know what? I'm a, that's, that's, you know, 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. I'm a new covenant believer. I'm a new covenant believer. Listen, pastors, pastors today are not immune to the same folly of the priests. Where in the world are the shepherds of Israel? Oh, but I'm a new covenant, a new covenant believer. Listen, where in the world are the shepherds of Israel? Yes, Israel. You know why? Because it's the root that supports the branch. It's the root that supports the branch. And so let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 10. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, Saul is being anointed. But, you know, we have to see where Saul's being anointed. There's also this chasm that's beginning to open up and it's terrible. It's terrible. Because, you know, the Lord is the king of Israel and the people, they don't want that. They desire the tangible king. They desire the king that they can see with their eyes, that they can touch with their hand. And then when he came, Jesus, the Messiah, the son of the Most High, when he came, look what happened. They rejected him. You see? The religious establishment. They should have been the ones, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees. They should have been one, the ones to bow down. I can understand asking questions. I can completely understand qu asking questions, a series of questions, not one or two questions, maybe like, you know, a lot of questions just to make sure. I can understand that completely. But they're coming to Jesus and they want to trap him. They want to destroy him. Remember our study in the book of Mark? They want to destroy him. You see, I can understand asking him questions just to make sure. But the religious leaders, the religious establishment, the supposed shepherds of Israel. They should be worshiping the Lord. They should be worshiping Jesus. But that doesn't happen. They want to destroy him. And so we see this chasm. It's still wide open today. Israel as a nation, May 14th, 1948, they still have carnal kings. 
carnal presidencies, carnal prime ministers of the flesh. And Jesus will return and he will be crowned king. You know, you and me today, he is king. But it's of the spirit, you see. And when he returns, it will be of the flesh. And that's what the prophet Isaiah writes. Uh, uh, Zechariah. These are things that we see. And put yourself in Samuel's sandal. The prophet Samuel. Put yourself in Samuel's sandals. And consider that pain of Samuel knowing like, you know, Samuel, he remembers. He knows what Moses says. You know, the Lord is our king. The Lord is our king. And Samuel's on board like, you know, yes, the Lord is our king. And to hear the people say, we want a king. It's like, wait a second. You want a king? What's wrong? What happened to the Lord? He's our king. And consider the pain of Samuel. And consider in his intimacy with the Lord, it's so tight that Samuel hurts. And that's when the Lord says to Samuel, Samuel, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. And so Samuel now, he gives Saul very specific instructions. We see the anointing in verse 1, but then in verse 2, chapter 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 2, and in the very specific instructions in verse 2, when you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Now, I want to say something really quick about prophets. Prophets. The Bible tells us of both good and bad, true and false, and it applies in the Old Testament and the New Testament and still today. Because, you know, you know, in the Old Testament, we see prophets. In the New Testament, we see prophets, good and bad, true and false. But even still today, there are prophecies in the Bible about the last days and the plethora of false prophets. Real prophets? Real prophets. Both male and female. Don't forget, the New Covenant has females who are prophetesses. Don't forget, remember the the daughters of Philip in our study in the book of Acts? If you've been walking with us for a while, prophetess daughters. Don't forget, females can be, uh, have the, uh, the gift of prophecy as given by the Holy Spirit. Real prophets have a holy formula, a holy formula. Real prophets, the biblical prophets, have a holy formula. They have deep intimacy with the Lord, where there's zero manipulation, there's no choreography, and the Holy Spirit has gifted the ability to them. You see, and it's of no private interpretation. It's for the body. It's for the body caring for the body, or better said, the remnant caring for the remnant. Very important to understand. I know people who follow so-called prophets, people who heed so-called prophets, people who heed so-called prophetesses. Oh, she's a prophetess. She's a prophetess. Everything she says, it happens. It happens. And then you, 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 you peel the onion a little bit. You look behind the curtain. And what do you see? Manipulation manipulation you know you see uh, you know the so-called prophetess making phone calls you know hey meet me over here meet me over here meet me over here meet me over there meet me over there and then you know being with christians oh look the lord told me that this person was going to be here oh look the lord told me when it's you peel the onion and what do you see choreography you see manipulation that's wicked that's evil and you have christians 
They do not test the spirits. You have Christians being seduced into satanic wickedness because, oh, look, he's a prophet. Oh, look, she's a prophet. No, they're servants of Satan. You see? Oh, I do what she says. I do what he says because, oh, yeah, they have they have the gift of prophecy and they're prophets and whatever he says happens, whatever she says happens. Listen, without testing the spirits, it's the fool that's going to burn in hell. You see? We have to be wise. We have to be wise. And so here with Samuel, look at these very, very specific instructions that he's given to Saul. He's giving very specific instructions. Now, Samuel, the prophet, he didn't message anybody. He didn't go and say, you know, I'm going to make a phone call to these two guys and tell them, you know, hey, go, go and wait by Rachel's tomb. And when you see Saul, tell him about the donkeys that they've been found. No, he's not manipulating anybody at all. There's no manipulation, no choreography, no lies. Not with the real prophets. Not with the real prophets. No lies. No choreography, no manipulation. The real prophets, the biblical ones, the holy ones, have a very specific formula that is holy. You see, of both male and female. The Old Testament even has, you know, the uh, prophetesses as well. Old Testament, New Testament, and still today, male, female. And for my sisters in Christ, you know, sometimes a lot of pastors, what they do is they, they kind of put uh, 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 females as second-class citizens. And those are the fools. Do not, don't submit to those pastors. Don't submit to those teachers because they're fools. No, women, you know, women cannot be pastors. Women cannot be elders. That's it. Why? Because the Bible has specific instruction, very specific blueprints for coverings are always male. Shepherding coverings are always, always, always male. The only deviation from that is parental, you know, moms and unto, unto the children, you see. Moms unto sons, you see, uh, female unto male, just like we see with Hannah unto Samuel. We see it with Lois and uh, uh, Eunice unto little Timmy. Remember our studies? Very beautiful. And then, you know, a lot of women, they think like, well, you know, I can't be pastor. I can't be pastor. So I'm going to take it upon myself and be pastor. Listen, if you're female, my beautiful sisters in Christ, don't do that. Don't do that. But then your children, no, the next generation, raise them up, train them up. You have sons, no, the next generation, train them up. Because, you know, little son might be the future pastor, a covering. You see? Very beautiful when we see. But, you know, so you have pastors, they put, they attempt to put women as second class. Like, oh, you can't partake in this ministry because you're just a female. Listen, those are fools. It's pastors and elders. Those are always male. Outside of that, if you're female, hey, you see female deacons in, in, in the Bible? You see uh, 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 evangelists in the Bible, female? Very beautiful. And so, you know, uh, let, let, just like as, as, as Paul says to Timothy, let no one despise your youth. The same could be said for females. And I say unto you, let no one despise your gender. No manipulation, no choreography. There's no lies, not with the real prophets, not with the real prophetesses. Remember Agabus in the book of Acts, how there's a, 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 a famine coming in the land? And the famine that came through the land, it was devastating across the land, except for the church, except for the church. Why? The prophet Agabus, he had the gift of prophecy. And the Lord says, hey, there's a famine coming. 
See, remember our study, the marathon? Remember the, the smoothie at the marathon? And the Lord told Agabus, hey, this is what's coming down the pike. Go and tell the saints. It wasn't so, you know, Agabus with the gift of prophecy to, you know, say, oh, look, I'm a prophet of the Lord by my books. Oh, look, I'm a prophet of the Lord, you know, like and subscribe, follow me so that I can be a social media influencer. No, Agabus, the Lord gave him that gift, a gift of the Holy Spirit, so that he could warn the church, the body caring for the body, the remnant caring for the remnant, prophecy of no private interpretation. It's for the body. Very important to understand what the body teaches us or what the word of God teaches us for the sake of the body. The body caring for the body, the remnant caring for the remnant. You see? And so we see Samuel here, the prophet, giving very specific instructions to Saul. How does Samuel know? Easy, piece of cake. God showed him. Remember the, the smoothie from our study, the marathon? Remember the study, the marathon? If you haven't heard it, if you're listening for the first time or you haven't heard our study, you know, uh, go and listen to it. It's called the marathon. It's going to help you understand. And so Samuel, the prophet, he continues to give very, very specific instructions. We see in verse three, then you shall go on, then you shall go on forward from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. There, three men going up to God at Bethel will greet you. One carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you in verse four, and they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you, you shall receive from their hands. After that, you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. And it will happen when you have come there to the city that, that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. Very interesting what we see here. You know, we see like the, the next wave of a type of shepherding, but it's not with the priesthood. It's with the prophets, you see? And I love that so much because, okay, you look at Eli, you look at Hophni, you look at Phinehas, you know, they had their chance. You know, they were on the receiving end of God's mercy. They were on the receiving end of God's mercy. But what happened? They squandered it. All of a sudden, the rules that applied for God's mercy no longer applied. Just like our study in the marathon to those who love me and keep my commandments. You know, mercy was extended to uh, 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 Eli, the high priest, and his sons, Ahaphne and Phineas, And mercy was applied to them. But, you know, where's the other part? Where to those who love me and follow me, you see? It didn't apply with, you know, those three of the priesthood anymore. So, okay, no effectuation of mercy. All of a sudden, mercy comes away. You see? It's extended, but then now it's taken away. Very important to understand. And then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, Israel is without a shepherd. Israel is without a shepherd. And in one sense, you could say, okay, that's understandable. But then you have the activation of the prophets. Okay, the priesthood wants to be crazy. They want to be defunct. If the priesthood wants to be that way, if that's the way they want to conduct themselves, okay. But then you activate the prophets. The Lord says, hey, Samuel, remember, no widespread revelation in the era of in the judges era, but in the specifically in the era of Eli, the high priest, when the Lord says in the law, in Torah, that he would speak with the high priest, except he didn't speak to Eli. You see, did the Lord lie about that? 
No, it is written, the Lord cannot lie. So what's the answer? Wrong formula in Eli. And when the Lord spoke to Eli, it wasn't directly, it was through another. Remember our study? Very important to understand. And so, okay, if the priests want to be crazy, okay, activate the prophets. Just look at the, in the, in the era of Jesus in his earthly ministry. Look at the priesthood. Okay, if they want to be crazy, if the priests want to conduct themselves like that, it's devastating. It's sad. It comes at a heavy price for Israel. But if that's how the priests want to conduct themselves, okay. Activate the apostles. Activate the messengers. You see? And always prior before messenger is disciple. The, 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 the apostles, they were disciples first. Very important to understand. This period of learning, of growing, of maturing and understanding. And not just understanding for the sake of knowledge. Remember, knowledge is a gift of the Spirit. But then you get into Acts chapter 2. And what do you see? Baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when there's baptism of the, baptism of the Holy Spirit, boom, go out. You see? Go and make disciples. Go and share the good news. The harvest is plentiful. You see? Then we see Paul's writings. Let the married be as though unmarried. Go and make disciples. The work of the ministry. And in these last days, what do you see? What do you see? In these last days, you see women's ministries. Oh, you know what? I'm going to submit to my husband. I'm going to scrub the toilets. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do all the cooking. I'm going to do all the cleaning. I'm going to submit to my husband. And I'm going to stay home. You see? Like and subscribe. Very important to understand what the Word of God teaches us for such a time as this. And I'm not saying that submission to husband is a bad thing. Submission to husband is a very beautiful thing. But don't forget, it's written with growth and maturity when Paul says, let the married be as though unmarried. It's not, to, it's not so married people can pretend they're unmarried and go out and party and go to the clubs and, you know, ladies night and do all that. No, no, that's wickedness. It's so that we can please the Lord. Look at Phoebe. Look at Chloe. Look at Lydia. Were they married? I don't know. But I wouldn't be surprised if they were. Look at Peter. All this time we see these the writings of Peter. We see Peter in the book of Acts. But he was married. You see? It's not to say that the, that the, 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 the wife was like, you know, not involved or anything like that. No, it just fulfills what the word of God says. So that we can please the Lord. Very important to understand what the Word of God teaches us for such a time as this. We are never, ever, ever to forget the better husband in our, you and me, our submission unto him. And so this next wave of shepherding, the prophets in the Old Testament. And Samuel tells Saul here, the prophet Samuel, tells this future king, he's already anointed, but this future king, Saul, that he's going to have two loaves of bread in his hands and he's going to meet the prophets with their instruments. And so in verse 6, we see here, then the spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now we read this, we read this and everything seems fine. It seems as though things are good, which begs the question. If things don't turn out well for Saul, if things don't turn out well for Israel, is this one big setup job? 
Is it one big con? Is it all just a big setup? And so go back and listen to our study called the marathon. The marathon. It's very important to understand how the Lord works within very specific confines that include a person's choice. And what we're going to see in the life of Saul, it's the same thing that can happen to the Christian. The same thing that can happen to a Christian where, you know, a, a, a person believes they're uh, uh, baptized with the Holy Spirit, baptized into Jesus and baptized with the Holy Spirit. Remember, there's the distinction. The two are not the same. Remember the, our study in the book of Acts where people, they believed in Jesus and they were baptized into Jesus, but they did not have the Holy Spirit. So belief in Jesus, you know, repentance and we come to Christ and then uh, the baptism unto Jesus. And then at the same time, we see the next one, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord knows it's entirely possible for people to be baptized into Christ, to go to church and to, 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 to say they're Christians and believe in Jesus and believe the word. But there's no baptism of the Holy Spirit. Very important to understand that it's entirely possible. And when that doesn't happen, when there's no baptism of the Holy Spirit, you know what that means? It means there's no seal of the Holy Spirit. And that's not good. The very fact that we see that it is entirely possible in the Word of God, just listen to our study from Acts chapter 8. The very fact that we see that it is entirely possible for a person to be baptized into Jesus and believe in Jesus and be among Christians and even call themselves a Christian, but at the same time be without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then for also for you and me to know why it happens, go and listen to our study through the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8 specifically. Knowing that that's entirely possible. You and me, the formula inside of us, it has to be right, you see? And so a person, a new creation in Christ, baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that is very beautiful. That's very beautiful. We're in our marathon, and in our marathon, everything is beautiful and pleasing to the Lord. But we haven't reached the finish line yet. You see, we have not reached the finish line yet. Even Paul, old man Paul, he says, no, I don't, I don't account myself as having achieved. I haven't reached the finish line. Old man Paul says it. And he's an old man at the time when he says it. I, I don't count myself having achieved, but I press forward. You see, I press forward. And so you and me, a new creation in Christ, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yes, praise be to the Lord. But then we have our marathon. And during the marathon, what is written? Do not quench the spirit. Translates as, do not extinguish the spirit. Don't forget, names can enter the book of life, and then also names can be blotted out from the book of life. And then a lot of Christians like to say, well, you know what, but Jesus says he won't lose any of us. And to that, I say, amen. Amen. Only this, don't walk away. Don't walk away. Remember the example we gave not too long ago in our prior studies, the example we gave with baby girl, you say, baby girl, stay in this house, stay in this house. It's nice and safe. Baby girl, stay here. 
And baby girl, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And I will return. You return and baby girl's gone. You did not lose baby girl. You did not lose her. You know what happened? Baby girl, she walked away. She walked away. Remember the lineup, you know, in the example we give, the lineup of a, a thousand Christ? A thousand Christ? Because the, the disciples, they asked Jesus, Jesus, you know, Lord, what is the sign of your coming? And the sign of the end of the age. And, you know, a, a, a long discourse of what Jesus says about, you know, the signs of the last days. And one of them is there will be many Christs. Many Christs. And they're all false. The real Christ warns about many Christs. And those many Christs, they're all false. The real Christ, his word is above his name. Everything has to match with the word of God. Genesis to Revelation and everything in between. It has to align. So you, the, the, a lineup of a thousand Christs. The Jesus of Joyce Meyer, not the biblical Jesus. It is not the biblical Jesus. The Jesus of Benny Hinn, it's not the biblical Jesus. The Jesus of replacement theology, it's not the biblical Jesus. The Jesus of many preacher guys, they're not the biblical Jesus. It's one of the signs of the end. It's the biblical Jesus that told us of these things. The biblical Jesus that warned us there would be many Christs. You see? And a, a lot of believers today, they say, but Jesus won't lose us. Jesus won't lose us, the Bible says. While they themselves are on the outside of the biblical Jesus. You see? They cry out, Jesus says he won't lose us. Jesus says he won't lose us. And they say that while being outside of the biblical Jesus. And they say that Jesus won't lose us while they're already lost. Everything has to line up. The word of God, the word became flesh. Genesis to Revelation. You have a pastor that says, hey, everybody, let's go grave soaking. Let's go lay on. You know, sometimes you hear us say that grave soaking is like, what is grave soaking? Well, grave soaking, what it is, and it's done out of Bethel, Bethel. A large worldwide church, global global ministry, so-called ministry. And what they do is they take church, you know, men's group, you know, married couples, youth group. They take groups of people to the cemetery. And why do they go to the cemetery? So they can lay on grave sites. And why do they lay on grave sites? Supposedly, they want to soak up the Holy Spirit that was in the dead people, people who have died. That's necromancy. That's an abomination. You see? And what happens? People put up with it. People put up with it. Instead of telling the pastor, hey, pastor, you need to repent and step down because that's necromancy. Instead of saying that, they say, okay, pastor, let's go. Okay, pastor, you want me to lay on the gravesite? Okay, here, I'll, I'll lay. You just, it's, it's a little dirty. It's a little muddy, but oh, I want the spirit. I'm hardcore. I'm going to go lay on this gravesite. And then that pastor says, oh, the Bible says Jesus won't lose you. And people, oh, you don't look. Jesus won't lose us. The Bible says Jesus won't lose us. Jesus won't lose us. And the whole time they're outside of the biblical Jesus. They say such things while they're already lost. You see? Remember, Satan, he doesn't fight fair. He doesn't fight fair at all. He's a dirty fighter. And the Word of God teaches us how to be warriors.
And so here in 1 Samuel, we're going to see in chapter 10, we've already seen a little bit of it, but we're going to see the fall of Saul. The fall of Saul. And it starts out, okay, we see things. Wow, look, he's anointed. Wow, look, you know, Samuel is giving him very specific instructions. And wow, look, it's, it, it looks okay. But then what happens is during his marathon, we're going to see the choices that he makes. Choices that harden his heart. And it's tragic. It's tragic. And remember, you know, Brother, Brother Paul, the apostle, He's the one who says that these things of old were written for us, written for our warning. What we're going to see in the life of Saul, we're going to see how his name is in the book of life and then out of the book of life. The very thing that can happen to any Christian. You see, very important. People say, oh, look, you know, uh, once saved, always saved, once saved, always saved. No, that's not the biblical formula. The biblical formula is once saved, stay saved. You see, how do we stay saved? Brother James says it. Remember the, remember the, the combo, you and me, we go get a burger. Hey, give me number one. You're not getting a singular thing. You're getting the burger. You're getting the fries or tater tots. I like tater tots. You know, you're getting the burger. You're getting the tater tots and you're getting uh, 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 the soda. And we see the package deal with what Brother James says, faith and works. Faith and works. Oh, but we're not saved by works. We're not saved by works. Now, we're not talking about works like, you know, hey, got to have, you know, you know, 10 converts a week or else I'm going to burn in hell. No, because Brother James, what he does, he points back to the Old Testament. He goes to Genesis. He goes to Abraham and Isaac. And when you read the account in Abraham and Isaac, what do you see? Obedience to everything that the Lord says to Abraham. Go back and listen to our study of the book of James. You'll understand more. And so Samuel the prophet, he continues with these very specific instructions. Look at verse 7. In verse, <clears throat> in verse 7. And let it be <clears throat> when these signs come to you, that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. God is with you. Again, you have to listen. Go back and listen to our study called the Marathon if you haven't done so already. Because it's very important for us to have the understanding of what is entailed in the Marathon. Because there are teachers and pastors today, and they've been around for a while, they twist the scriptures. They twist the scriptures and they change the nature and character of God. And they make God cruel. They turn God into a cruel deity. And they do it while calling him sovereign. And you hear him say it all the time, God is sovereign, God is sovereign, God is sovereign. And what they've done, they changed the nature and character of our Lord. And they turned him into a cruel entity. Just for example, it's like with school. Say, for example, you and me are in, we're, we're in third grade. You and me, we're in third grade. And it's the first day of school, day one. And the teacher segregates the class in half. It's the first day of the school year. She takes one half and says, all of you will fail. When she, first day of school, day one. We just had our summer break and, you know, we played and did all these things. And now it's the first day of school and we get to see even more friends. And, you know, we're excited. Day one of school. And the teacher takes half, segregates half. You half sit on this side. You half sit on this side. And then she says to one half, all of you will fail. All of you will fail. And at the end of the school year, I'm going to kick you out of the education system. Why? Because you're predestined for failure. 
predestined for failure. Then she takes the other half and she says, all of you will pass. All of you will pass. By my will, I'm going to make you get A's in all the tests and exams. And by my will, I'm going to make you turn in your homework. And by my will, I'm going to make you attend class with a perfect record. Now, if you and me were on the passing side, if you and me were on the passing side, how could we explain her will? How could we explain her will? If you and me were on the passing side, would say, you know what? It's irresistible. It's irresistible. I'd get an A minus and say, oh, you know what? That's her permissive will. It should have been an A plus, but you know, I got an A minus because that's her permissive will. We wouldn't even be able to understand, you know, how we passed, but we just know that you were going to pass. Once passed, always passed. Would say that it's impossible to know her will were too finite and would even call her sovereign. That's if you and me were on the passing side. But what if you and me were on the failing side? What if you and me were on the failing side where the teacher says, okay, you, you guys, you know, all of you have, you know, all of you, you sit over here and then she tells us, okay, all of you are predestined for failure. So I'm going to kick you out of the education system. Not now. I'm going to do it at the end of the school year. And you're kicked out of the education system. And so what if you and me are on the failing side and we hear the other kids say, oh, look, she's sovereign and she's loving. But her love is only for them. Her love is only for the elect. Her love is only for the other half who are predestined to pass. But for you and me, if we were on the failing side, there's no hope. We're predestined to be kicked out of the school system because we're total failures. What would we think of her? What would we think of her nature and character? You see? But what if there's another school completely? A completely different school. A different thought system. A different form of doctrine. And in this school, on the first day, everyone starts with a passing grade. Everybody starts with an A. Everybody starts with an A. And it's true that some are going to fail the class and some, you know, some might fail the class, we should say. But it's not because of the teacher. It's not because of the teacher. We're in another school. We're in a completely different school, a different doctrinal system. And the first day of school, everybody starts with an A. Everybody, we all got an A. And some are going to do bad. But it's not because of the teacher. It's because a person, you know, a student doesn't do the homework, doesn't do the assignments, skips class, fails exams, but the whole time, it's not like, okay, the person's going to fail and, you know, have a nice day. No, the whole time, the teacher cries about it. He's crying about it. The whole time, the teacher, he's long-suffering, not willing that any should fail. And then, you know, you and me say, you know, you and me, we have, you know, we're, we're getting straight A's in class and we're just so in love with our teacher. And then the teacher tells us, hey, see that kid who's getting C's and D's and F's? And then the teacher tells us, go help that kid. Go help that kid. I don't want him to fail. So I'm going to send you to help them. And in addition, the teacher tells us, I'm going to give you some extra abilities so that you can help him. You see? In the first school, that teacher, the one who segregates and says, okay, you guys, I'm going to make you pass. I'm going to make you get A's. I'm going to make you do this. 
And to the other half, she says, you know, you guys are predestined to fail. And so, you know, I'm going to kick you out of the school system, but not yet. You know, I'm going to wait till the end of the school year. That teacher is cruel. Her character is mean. And the supposed passing kids, they call her the sovereign teacher. And then while her aides, the ones that she sends, you know, her aides, you know, they say, oh, you know, go ahead and put this mark on your hand. Go ahead, go ahead and put this mark on your forehead and you, you'll still be guaranteed a passing grade because the teacher is sovereign and once passed, always passed. But in the other school, in the other school, a completely different system, a completely different doctrine. And the teacher is beautiful. The teacher is beautiful. He loves the kids. The first day of school and everybody starts with an A during the school year. Some kids go down to the B's and some go down to the C's and our teacher suffers. It hurts him. You see, he wants all of us to pass and he takes time with all the kids because he loves his kids. And, you know, with this teacher, he doesn't just love the kids that are in his class. He even loves the kids that are in the other school. And so what does he do? He takes you and me and says, hey, just like he's, you know, see those, see those kids over there? They got the B's and the C's go help them. Now he takes you and me. We're getting straight A's. He takes you and me and says, hey, you know, I got some other people. They're going to take care of these kids in the class. But you and you go to this other school, go to this other school and bang on the windows and tell them, jump ship jump ship there's a better way there's a better way it's not safe here where you're at it's not safe here and so he sends us out and we do exactly like he tells us to do you see people walking by they could say like what's the big deal what's the big deal education is education same same school system same doctrine same teacher you and me would say no no because our teacher told us there would be many teachers, but only one is true. Everything taught, every, sing, every single thing that is taught must align to a very specific text. It must. And when any teacher says otherwise, when any teacher says otherwise from that very specific text, that teacher who says anything other than what is written, that teacher as an imposter imposter it's the kind that you know our the good teacher warned us about you see now this is just an example of doctrine and doctrinal concepts but when we read first samuel we look at first samuel and Different schools describe what's happening based on the doctrines they adhere to. Where we see in chapter seven or chapter ten, verse seven. In chapter ten, verse seven, God is with Saul. God is with Saul. We see it in verse seven. And one school describes that. Well, you know what? It's a setup job. It's a setup job. And they describe it as a setup job because what happens is they hold so tightly to a doctrine so tightly to a doctrine that they create other doctrines that say, oh yeah, you know, it's a setup job. And since we see this happen, you know, how do we reconcile? Instead of saying, how do we reconcile? And let's see what the Bible says. They say, how do we reconcile? Oh, you know what? God created sin. And then they put doctrine on top of doctrine on top of doctrine when the whole time it doesn't even line up with scripture. 
And then they say, okay, so uh, it's a big setup job for Saul and Israel. It's a big setup job. And not only that, but uh, uh, they also hold so tightly to that doctrine. And then, you know, that, that and, and God created sin. But at the same time, they say God makes people sin. You see? And they teach it as doctrine. They teach as doctrine something it's not even in the Bible. You see? And as a result, what happens? They make the word of God of no effect. Church, it's just like a college class. Complete with lecture after lecture after lecture. And the word of God is of no effect. It just so happens. It just so happens that we spoke about this on our Sunday message. It just so happens. But in the right school, in the right school, we can see how in verse 7, God is with Saul. And what happens is we see how in this school of, this example of the school, Saul, he starts out with an A. He starts out with an A. But then we're going to see in his marathon, we're going to see his choices that lead to the A turning into a B. The B turning into a C, the C turning into a D, the D turning into the F, and then ultimately, it leads to judgment. You see? It leads to judgment. So how do we reconcile further? Well, go and listen to our study. It's called the marathon. Go and listen. Very important to understand. And so we see here the prophet Samuel, he continues to give very detailed instructions to Saul in verse 8. You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifice of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should, what you should do. So it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. You see, Saul is anointed. He has a new heart. What Samuel told him, it's all coming to pass and everything seems fine. We see in verse 10, when they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them. You see, it's all coming to pass. Just like Samuel said, everything seems so nice. And verse 11, <clears throat> and it happened when all who knew him formerly saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets, that the people said to one another, what is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul, among, is Saul also among the prophets? Then a man from there answered and said, but who is their father? Therefore, it became a proverb. Is Saul also among the prophets? Whoa. You see the people, they see a difference. They say, well, Saul's different. He's, he's in verse 11, you know, they, the, those who formerly knew him, they saw that he indeed prophesied with the prophets among the prophets. Like, well, what is this? And then we see at the end of verse 12, the proverb is so also among the prophets. Now, I want to say something specifically, 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 specifically to my Talmudic rabbi friends whom I love. Talmudic rabbi, I love you. If you're listening, you're Talmudic rabbi, I love you. We see here in verse 12, the question is posed, is Saul also among the prophets? And I'll give you the answer. Yes, but not this Saul. Another Saul of Benjamin. 
Not this one here in 1 Samuel chapter 10. Not this Saul. A different Saul. A better Saul. It's a Saul of another generation. And also when he receives the Spirit of the Lord. And so specifically, 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 for my Talmudic rabbi friends, go to thewayunderground.com and go to the area specifically for the Jewish people and hear the law of Moses. And so here in 1 Samuel chapter 10, Saul, he's prophesying with the prophets in verse 13. And when he had finished prophesying, he went to the high place. Then Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, where did you go? So he said, to look for the donkeys. When we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. In verse 15, and Saul's uncle said, tell me please what Samuel said to you. So Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found, but about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. You see what's happening here? Saul's uncle in verse 15, you know, what did Samuel, what did the prophet say to you? Tell me, please, what did, what did the prophet say to you? And then we see in verse 16, Saul, he responds. He told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. And that's it. He told us about the donkeys. But he left out. He omitted something about the kingdom. He didn't tell him what Samuel had said. In verse 17, then Samuel called the people together. Samuel the prophet. Samuel the prophet called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah and said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God, who himself saved you from all your ad adversities and your tribulations. And you have said to him, no, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. Whoa. Remember, the Lord says to Samuel, Samuel, give them what they want. They want a king. But before you do this, warn them. That was like the final straw, you know, warn them, you know, upon receiving the warning of Samuel, the prophet, the people could have said, you know what, you know, time out, you know, pull the plug, you know, hit the brakes. No, we, we, we don't, we don't, we don't want the king that we desire. No, we, we're going to heed you, Samuel. We're going to heed uh, uh, old man Moses. We're going to uh, heed Torah. And, you know, we want the Lord as king over us. But no, when, when Samuel, the prophet warned the people, the people says, okay, that's nice. Samuel, we still want our king. Give us our king. And that was like, that was it. The period of mercy. You could look at this period of mercy as like the entire span of Samuel's life. The whole time Samuel as a covering. Not the priestly kind, the prophet kind. A covering, sacrifice, an offering, praying, fasting, interceding for the people. Even as a little kid. You say, well, how, do, how, how was this covering put in motion? Yes, there's the Lord. But remember when we begin our study in 1 Samuel chapter 1, chapter 1, and, you know, in 2, and a little bit in 3, don't forget Mama. Mama Hannah. A covering unto her son. You see? When the priesthood became defunct, 
Look at Mama as covering on her son. So beautiful. So beautiful for my sisters in Christ. You know, the motherly covering on children, it's so incredibly beautiful and of great importance of, you know, setting a child in, in the way he should go, in the way she should go. But you don't know the future. You don't know what the future holds. But our Father in heaven does. Hallowed be his name. He knows. The Lord knows. When the priest thought, you know, he sees Hannah praying and she says, oh, she's just drunk. You see? You see how he was so blind? Then you start to, to read about the priest and holy formula and you realize, well, he's blind for a reason. He's corrupted himself. You see? Oh, there's Hannah. She's praying. She's just drunk. She's not drunk. She's praying unto the Lord. You see how the blind formulate these conclusions? Oh, yeah, she's just drunk, you know. She's crazy. But we see holy formula in Hannah. Look at the formula. You think the priest is like, wow, the priest should have the holy formula. They got the garb and they got the, you know, have the, the certificates on the wall and all these things. Surely the, the recipe of holiness is with Eli. He is high priest. He is Kohanim. Surely this recipe of holiness is with him. Then you look at Hannah like, who's she? She's just, she's just a woman. But when you understand formula, no, the tables are flipped. When you understand formula, you see, man, Eli, he's stupid. Eli, he's a fool. And his foolishness and blindness gets worse and worse and worse. And he's dead. Him and his son's wickedness. But then you look at Hannah. And you look at that legacy of Hannah. And if we were to go back in time, Hannah, what's your legacy? You know what she would say? The Lord. The Lord is my legacy. Praise be to the Lord. A lot of women, my beautiful sisters in Christ, it's like, man, you know, a lot of women kind of are in a situation where they don't know what to do because it's like you look at the church today and it's like, wow, you know, this guy's great. Kind of like Chloe in, 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 the, in, in, the, in the era of 1 Corinthians where it's like, man, you know, I see this pastor, I see this pastor, this pastor, this over here, 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 here. Everybody's crazy. The formula over here, crazy. I can't submit to this guy. I can't submit to that freak show. I can't submit to this guy. You see? And a lot of times people, oh, look, that's a pastor. Oh, look, there's a pastor. Surely the, the formula of holiness is right in him. But just like with Hannah and Eli, with carnal eyes, you could say, well, okay, you know, holiness is with the priest, but with eyes to see, eyes of the spirit, understanding holy formula, you see, wow, Eli's crazy town. Eli's defunct. And then you look at the recipe of holiness in Hannah. Nursing her son. And when she's done nursing, he's reached a certain age, she gives him to the Lord. You see? Gives him to the Lord to serve the Lord. And she only sees him once a year, but then during the year, she's like, you know, knitting garments for him. Priestly garments. The little, little, little boy Samuel. Little boy Samuel, and he's wearing the priestly robe made my beautiful mama. You see? The covering. She has a the motherly covering. And then, you know, when he's the little boy with his priestly garments, you know, motherly covering. And now look, old man Samuel, 
a covering unto Israel until Israel has rejected the Lord. Amen. It's it's beautiful, but it's also sad. It's beautiful for Samuel. It's beautiful for Hannah. But for everybody else, it's devastating. It's painful. It hurts. Then you see this contrast of the masses and the remnant. You see? Just like in the book of Judges, it's like, wow, all this mess. The Lord has become forgotten. All this mess. But then you look. If you take you know, the, the entire book of Judges and span it out across a timeline, and you can say, like, wow, what a mess in Israel. But then you look at little pinpoints of time. Like, wow, look, it's so beautiful here. Jephthah, Jephthah's daughter. Wow, so beautiful. Deborah, Ehud. Wow, all these moments in time. It's so beautiful. What's this over here? Oh, look, there's, there's Ruth. You see? It's so beautiful to see. Like, wow, what a mess in Israel. But at the same time, not here, not here, not here, here, here. You know what that is? That's the remnant. That's the remnant. We look at the, the church age today, which is getting close to being closed. This age of grace. And you're like, wow, what a mess. The state of the church, what a mess. Under the leadership of men, mind you. Look at the state of the church, what a mess. And you take the, the timeline of the church and you span it out and you look, well, not here. Not here, little little dots on the timeline, not here, not here, not here, not here. And you know what? A dot is with you. That's the remnant of the last days. Praise be to the Lord. That's what we see all throughout the Bible. All throughout the Bible. You see how there's a whole lot of mess. And you see God's love and God's grace and his mercy. And you know, you also see judgment and wrath, but Every single time, precursory to judgment and wrath, the Lord says, hey, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you, male and female. I'm going to use you, 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 and still today. And I wonder if the Lord is calling you out. I want to use you. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. For such a time as this, I wonder. Meanwhile, you have people, oh, you know, stay home and scrub the toilets, like and subscribe. Look what happens here in verse 19. The, the, the prophet Samuel is saying to the people, today you have rejected your God who himself saved you from all your adversities and your tribulations. And you have said it said to him, no, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. In verse 20, <clears throat> And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. When he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was chosen. And Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. But when they sought him, 
he could not be found. Just like you remember in uh, in uh, the book of Joshua, in Joshua, the sin of Achan, where there was sin in the camp, and Achan knew what he did. Achan knew exactly what he did. But then all night they go, they take all the tribes and all the people and. One by one, it's like, okay, these people pass through, these people pass, these people pass, these people pass. And there's like a, a breakdown of a family of tribes or of tribes and then family. And then boom, Aiken, he's the man. He's the one. It's kind of the same here, what's happening with, with, uh, 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 with Saul. You know, all the tribes, all the tribes, and then you know, uh, the family of Matri, Saul, the son of Kish was chosen, and, 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 and or, or, you know, all the families, and then boom, it's Saul. And then when they saw him, he could not be found. In verse 22, therefore, they inquired of the Lord further. Has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, there he is, hidden among the equipment. You see, Saul was hiding. Saul was hiding. He's not off to a good start. He's not off to a good start at all. This anointed king that the people desire. He's not off to a good start. Now we see, you know, just like, you know, in the, in the school example, everybody starts with an A. Well, Saul, he's maybe like at an A minus now. We start to see little, little things that happen where it's like, okay, like, what, what's going on here? Why? Why? Why, why did he choose? Why did he make this choice? Why did he do this? And not to get, you know, psychoanalytical or anything like that, but it's like, well, wait a second. Like, look at the behavior. Look at the conduct. And when we look at conduct, not for the sake of, you know, conduct in a, in a psychoanalytical sense, but conduct in a A sense. Because you and me, we want him to be at A+. And not just Saul, we want everybody to be at A+. But remember, God doesn't make robots. God doesn't make robots. You see? And so Saul, he's hiding. He's hiding. In verse 23, So they ran and brought him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. Remember, Saul He's a handsome guy. He's a handsome guy. I mean, like, yeah, drop dead handsome. Chapter 9, verse 2 tells us that, remember? Very handsome. In all Israel, not just saying, you know, the handsome guy on the block or the handsome guy in the, in the neighborhood. No, all Israel. Very handsome guy. Now, for my sisters in Christ, the single ones, there is nothing, 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 nothing. There is nothing more handsome than righteousness. Nothing. Nothing. And there's no greater love story than you unto Jesus, the better husband. You see, there's no greater love story. No, for, 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 for my single sisters in Christ, there's nothing more handsome than righteousness. But for all my sisters in Christ and my brothers in Christ, there is nothing, there's no greater love story than our marriage unto Christ. A better husband. Very important to understand what the Word of God teaches us. And so when we read, when Paul's writings, you know, let the married be as though they're unmarried. It's not, you know, you know, oh, you know, look, I'm married, so now I can be single and I can do this, I can do that, I can go mingle, I can, you know, go to the ladies' night and do this. No, no, that's wickedness. It's so that we can please the Lord, the better husband. 
And people say, oh, we're the bride of Christ, we're the bride of Christ. And listen, that's very forward-looking. There's nothing wrong with saying a Christian is part of the bride of Christ. There's nothing wrong with saying that because it's very forward-looking and knowing that it's very helpful. But understand this, the marriage, it's still a pending matter. It has not happened yet. Which is why the Bible says of Christians, you know, virgins, virgins, pure chaste but then we see in matthew 25 foolish virgins and then wise virgins you see and so samuel here he's super tall i mean not super tall but you know he was you know from his shoulders upward you know he's, he's tall taller than everybody else and more handsome than everybody else and in verse 24 and samuel said to all the people do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? That there is no one like him among the people. So the people shouted and said, Long live the king! Exclamation point. They shout, Long live the king! Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And now we have King Saul. Verse 26, and Saul also went home to Gibeah, and valiant men went with him, whose hearts God has had touched. So we see, like, wow, this looks this looks kind of nice. I mean, it's, it's what could go wrong? What could go wrong? He's anointed. The spirit of the Lord is with him. He's prophesying. Valiant men whose God whose hearts God has touched are with him. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? And now we see in this classroom, we see Saul. He, you know, everybody, we all got A's. Everybody's got an A. Well, I mean, you know, in, for the sake of the, you know, in, in the example of the class, you know, everybody's got an A, but then all of a sudden Saul is maybe an A minus, A minus, because there's little choices that he makes. Like, why is this happening? This is why we have to understand the marathon, the marathon, because the Lord, very specific confines that include a person's choice, you see? includes a person's choice and if you're listening for the first time make sure you listen to that study called the marathon very important because there are schools of thought that say that it's a setup job that all these good things are happening and in this school of thought so god makes him sin and god uh, 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 makes him sin god created sin god makes him sin and it's all part of a big setup job why because god is sovereign and i'm not mocking the sovereignty of god God is absolutely sovereign, but the sovereign God explains in his word what is happening. Is it a setup job? No way. No way. Saul, he's making certain choices, and we're going to see his A go to B, go to C, go to D, go to F. You're going to see periods of mercy and grace and kind of like, you know, periods of, you know, hopefulness, but at the same time, you're going to see judgment. Just like with Eli, okay, you know, you're in mercy, okay, you want to take advantage of the mercy, you want to take advantage of the grace, you make your choice to conduct yourself, and you know, Eli, you want to honor your kids more than the Lord, okay, Eli, your kids, you know, you make your choice, now the Lord says, now I'm going to respond to your choices, remember, the Lord is reactionary. And so we see things here in chapter 10 of 1 Samuel, it's like, wow, this doesn't look so bad. And in verse 27, 
But some rebels said, How can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents. But he held his peace. Now, when the Lord is king, when the Lord is king, he deals with rebellion. We've seen it already in, in Torah. We've seen it in, in Judges. When the Lord is king, he deals with rebellion. We've seen it already in, with, in Torah. We've seen it with Korah. We've seen it. But when man is king, when man is king, we're going to see how man deals with rebellion. And when man deals with rebellion, we're going to see how it causes fracture upon fracture upon fracture upon fracture. And the Lord will absolutely, absolutely, he's going to be crowned king once again. He's going to be crowned king once again. You know, from the era of 1 Samuel chapter 10, it is a future event. In the era of 2023 AD, it's a future event still. But for the remnant, for the remnant, we've already crowned him king in our hearts. King of kings, Lord of lords, Messiah, son of the most high, king of our hearts to the beautiful 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 people of the way a remnant of these last days god bless you i love you